Hi and welcome back to The Crime Pod. I'm Caitlin. And I'm Sam. In last week's podcast, we looked into the uncaught serial killer known as Bible John and me and Sam spent a lot of time going over theories of who we think he could be. Since then, a few of our listeners have got in touch with us and asked us more about the people we accused of being Bible John. So this week, we decided to do a podcast on one of our main suspects. This week, we're telling the story of the infamous serial killer known as Peter Tobin. Peter Tobin was born on the 27th of August 1946 in Johnston in Renfrewshire, which is just kind of next to Glasgow in Scotland. He was one of eight siblings. He was the youngest, so he had four older sisters and three older brothers. Peter was quite a difficult child, um, and in 1953, at the age of seven, he was sent to an approved school. So that's kind of like a boarding school. Like a reform school? Yeah, like a reform school, So, but you can be sent there by the court. So oh. usually for either committing offences or just because you're quite an unruly child so you're deemed to be beyond parental control so you're not like you know a great kid yeah and i think that's that obviously goes further than just being like violent towards your siblings like to get into school like that i think you need to be quite extreme yeah absolutely and especially if you're sent there by the court and you're seven years old yeah anyway when he was there he reportedly joined the french foreign legion um, so that's a French military bra- branch, which is open to foreign recruits willing to fight in the French armed forces. That's not like a, a weird, unknown thing back then. A lot of countries had that. However, he later just gave up on that idea. He was just, that wasn't for him. No. And then later on in his childhood life, teens, he was um, he served time in a borstal, which is like the approved school but it's tougher Mm -hmm. and it's more enclosed and it's kind of like a youth detention centre so a place for for bad teens in a way Mm -hmm. or unruly teens anyway he got on with his school life and in 1969 he moved to Brighton in Sussex where he married his first wife 18 year old Margaret She was a clerk and a typist. However, they separated after a year and she divorced him in 1971. Do you know why? So, well, there's a few things. The first thing was that he was an abuser. So that's quite a huge red flag. Um, He raped her three or four times. He also stabbed her and left her for dead. But, she was rescued by a neighbour who saw blood coming through the ceiling. Tobin, though, left her unable to have children because he inserted the knife inside her, which cut her internally. Mm -hmm. So this was, obviously, they got married in 1969 and she managed to divorce him in 1971. The reason she managed to get away was because in 1970, he was convicted and imprisoned in England for burglary and forgery for three years. Did you hear about her dog? Um, I think so, but what, what have you got? So she had a dog um, 
I can't remember the exact type of dog. But... I think it was a black Labrador. Okay. <laughs> so she had a black Labrador and Tobin never liked the dog. Apparently it yelped a lot, apparently it barked a lot and it was just, it would like, you know, have accidents in the house. So he hated this dog. And then he used to beat the dog. He wouldn't treat it right at all. And then he decided one day when enough was enough and he actually decapitated the dog. Oh my, absolutely crazy. Thank God she got away in, albeit only three years, but awful to deal with stuff like that. Exactly. Um, One thing though, after Margaret, he wasn't in prison for long uh, because in 1973, he married again. He married a local nurse, Sylvia Jeffries. With Sylvia, they ha- he had a son and a daughter. But sadly, the daughter died soon after birth because she had breathing difficulties. This marriage, well, should I say this violent marriage, only lasted until 1976 when Sylvia left with her son. Um, throughout this marriage, though, he abused her. He abused her dog. Um, he would threaten her and be like, I'm going to kill our son if you don't do this or... You know, you would think he would give up, but this did not phase Tobin. Uh, because he then, a few years later, albeit about 10 years, he then had a relationship with Kathy Wilson and they married in 1987. And they had another son, well, he had another son later that year with Kathy. Mm-hmm. In 1990, they were living in England, but they moved up to Bathgate in West Lothian. Mm-hmm. But you see, we've got kind of a pattern going on because Kathy left Tobin in 1990 and moved back to Portsmouth in Hampshire, where she grew up. So the thing with Kathy, though, when they got married, well, when they met at the dancing hall, which is kind of where most couples met back in the day anyway, um, Kathy was only 16 years old. Okay. So that was the over 20 kind of year age difference with them both. But the thing is, Kathy had grown up with a lot of childhood abuse. She had a lot of trauma. So she was like, this is great. This guy is so charming. He's lovely. This is my way to escape my life. I'm going to yeah, marry this great man and he's going to treat me well. And the thing with looking back on all the wife's accounts, they've said like practically the, exactly the same thing. They all fell for a charming, well-dressed psychopath. And he yeah. turned violent and he displayed like sadistic... His wife, Margaret, was interviewed um, after the whole outcome happened and she described him as the whole Jekyll and Hyde syndrome thing. Like, do you know when somebody, like, during the day and out in front of everybody is so different from the person they are behind closed doors? Mm-hmm. And he still managed to get three wives and you think how could this happen but you're exactly right it's Jekyll and Hyde to the public and to anyone that's not behind that door in Mm -hmm. the house does not know um, how bad a man he is exactly so um he was now obviously divorced and he didn't have any more wives you might be pleased to hear that yeah that's great news yeah so in May 1991 he moved back down to England he moved to Margate in Kent and in 1993, he moved back to Hampshire to be near his younger son. Um, so you think, oh, well, he kind of might be becoming a good father or something like that. But maybe I doubt it. Um, so on the 4th of August, 1993, this is when Tobin attacked two 14-year-old girls in his own flat. 
in Hampshire. So mm-hmm. they were in the, in the um, in the building and they were going to visit a neighbour. But this neighbour, he wasn't at home. So they knocked on Tobin's door and they were like, oh, can we wait here until he comes back? Mm-hmm. Personally speaking, I, would, I know it was I would back say in, no. Yeah, well, I know it was back in the 90s, but even so, if the person I'm going to see isn't in, I would just leave or I'd wait yeah. outside. I wouldn't knock on a stranger's door and be like, oh, can I come in and have a cup of tea? Yeah, exactly. You know, especially at the age of 14. But as we say, it's now 2020. That was a long time ago. Um, maybe it, it was the norm back then and, and it was safer in a way. Or people mm-hmm. were just kind of, they, they weren't aware. So, yeah. of course, Tobin being the charmer that he is, he was like, yeah, absolutely, come on in. And they went inside. Oh. And while they were inside... Tobin held them at knife point they forced them to drink cider vodka I did read something about amitriptyline being yeah I'd read that they were both drugged with amitriptyline Mm -hmm. which which I don't know if you've ever taken amitriptyline I have and it hasn't affected me (laughs) oh it knocked me out did it I took it and like I was at my mum's house and my mum generally said I was in, I just passed out in the same place on the sofa for like four hours. And well, I generally that couldn't tell you a... what happened to me. So Well then that gives everyone kind of a view of, of what could have what would have happened then if these fourteen year old girls had even more than, you know, the legal dosage because let's be real, he probably just pumped it into them. Yeah, exactly. Um, they were full of amitriptyline and and alcohol and things like that. When Tobin then sexually assaulted them and raped them. Also, he stabbed one of them. Whilst his younger son was present. In the room? In the room. No. His young son, clearly he was looking after him. And he stabbed a young girl. Exactly. You know, every time, you know, don't you just remember the days when your dad stabbed people in front of you? (laughs) Like it was yesterday. <laughs> he then turned the gas taps on in the house. Um, I'm guessing it's kind of in the oven, you know, when you turn it on and you don't let the fire go. And he left them for dead. However, Jeez. they both survived the attack. No. Yes. So, to avoid being arrested, as one would do because you'd expect after doing all that, you would be arrested... Tobin went into hiding and he joined the Jesus Fellowship, which is a religious sect in Coventry. Mm-hmm. And he joined that under a false name because as you go, as we start telling you more about Peter, he, he changed his name practically all the time. You know, back then there wasn't as many, you couldn't keep track of everyone as much as you can today. There was no smartphones or anything like that. Yeah. So he had multiple names. Now, a sect for those of you who don't know, is an organisation that breaks away from a larger one to follow a different set of rules and principles. So in my personal opinion, it kind of sounds a bit like a cult, but this one is kind of more on the the non-illegal mm-hmm. side and forcing people into to everything like that. So he, yeah. he ran away and joined, joined in the Jesus Fellowship. However... Nice. 
he was later captured and he was captured in Brighton because his blue Austin Metro car was found there and obviously they could track well if the car's there he must be around here somewhere mm-hmm. so quite like a hints and tips for today is if you are running away from the law or anyone don't take your car no. just don't just get rid exactly anything with your legal documents just just leave it leave it behind anyway mm-hmm. on the 18th of may yeah moving on from your yeah, um, on, helping sorry. serial killer note Yes. <laughs> on the 18th of May 1994, at Winchester Crown Court, Tobin pleaded guilty and he received a 14-year prison sentence for, obviously, what he'd done to the girls. So, kind of their age, he's got the prison sentence. Mm-hmm. Um, however, he did only serve 10 years and in 2004, he would have been 58 years old. He mm-hmm. was released from prison and he returned to Paisley. After being released from prison, Tobin decided to change his name. The reason he'd done this is because he wouldn't appear on sex registers and would kind of go under the radar when applying for jobs and telling people who he was. He came up with the name Pat McLaughlin and that is what he called himself. So Pat McLaughlin got a job as a church handyman in Glasgow. As he basically, I don't understand how he got this job, but he seemed to turn up at this church looking for shelter and they felt sorry for him. Do you know, churches are very good places. They kind of take anybody in. So he went saying that he was sleeping rough, he needed help, he needed some money. So they took him in and eventually he became the handyman. I don't know if he got paid. I don't know if it was maybe one of those like exchange for a place to stay. Yeah, maybe it could have been. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah, I no background check was really. So no, I don't think. I think you just they assume you're not lying. Tobin was also brought up a Catholic. Um, oh, so which... that would definitely get him in. Yeah, exactly. So he was actually a religious man, and also. I think the saying like hiding in plain sight comes up there because that's the thing like he was this religious friendly charming person someone you'd never expect to do these things but he's there the whole time do you know what I mean um so on September the 24th 2006 the church's cleaner a student from Poland named Angelika Kluk went missing a charity worker who was at the church a woman named Kathy so I think she kind of volunteered there she thought something was up about the whole situation. Her husband had just came home and said, like, oh, this girl was missing. And she immediately just felt like something wasn't right. And on there, I'm kind of like, oh, these people just like getting involved. But like, I, I mm-hmm. believe that, that some people just know. Yeah, and they, they just ha- get like a, a feeling. Sense sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. And the thing with Angelica is like, people were like, oh, maybe she just left. Maybe something happened. But all her belongings were left in the church. Like, I'm talking credit cards, bank cards, everything was left there. Does she live in the the house no. at the church does she not I live don't... in a ma- the manse or something yes yes she does yes sorry i thought you were asking if she lived around the church no she oh, does no, no she doesn't live in the church so that's sorry. the thing if you were going to run away or you were just going to leave your job you'd pack your bags do you know what i mean whereas she didn't um and the last person to see her was pat mclaughlin so the photo of pat mclaughlin is shown to the police and the police release this photo and all of a sudden they're bombarded with phone calls basically telling them that this is not Pat McLaughlin, this photo's Peter Tobin. So That must have been such, yeah, so like, scary, like, oh my God. Exactly, him. so Peter Tobin was there, like, when they came in and checked the ter- church as Pat McLaughlin, and yeah, again, he was just this friend, they're like, oh God, I'm really sorry for her, I hope she's alright. However, I think the minute the photo was released, he was out there, and he ran away again. Now, the police searched the church on, I think it was the 29th of September, so that's a couple of days after, and found her under the church. 
she had multiple stab wounds um, and she was hit over the head by what they believe was a table leg. Her hands were bound with cable ties and she was wrapped in bin bags. DNA on her body and the bin bags all confirmed they linked to Peter Tobin. The church now obviously found out who he was and as you can imagine they were most upset with this information <laughs> that this serial killer had basically been working for them and this began a nationwide search for Peter Tobin. One more thing I'd like to add, um, although it's not confirmed, forensic evidence suggested that Angelica was actually alive when she was put under the floorboards. Oh. The thought of being buried alive gives me the fear. It's yeah, but absolutely. however, I'd like to think with her injuries, she maybe wasn't too conscious. Do you know what I mean? Uh, yeah, like I I'd, think I'd like to think that for her sake. Blacked out, especially if you'd been stabbed and beaten. You'd... Yeah, no, no. I'd like to think that she was maybe not aware of what was happening because if so, that is horrendous. Mm-hmm. But anyway, Tobin is on the run, and this manhunt is out for him. And a couple of weeks later, in October two thousand and six, he's actually spotted using the name James Kelly in London. He checked into a hospital. I don't actually know what for, but he was in a hospital using this name. And I didn't realise either in hospitals you don't check. They just kind of help you which hospitals are meant to do. But he was actually seen by a police officer. And this police officer went in, a Met police officer, so it wasn't even a Scottish police, they just recognised the photo. They saw him and they actually contacted the authorities in Scotland who brought him back up. The trial started a few months later in the March of 2007. So on the 23rd of March, this trial begins in Edinburgh. He, When he goes to trial, he's 60 years old and he pleads not guilty to this murder. However, six weeks later, after I think the jury spoke for about 15 minutes, he was found guilty of murdering this woman and was sentenced to 21 years in prison. In the court... He didn't, for someone that's pleading not guilty to a crime, he didn't act very polite and was actually he actually lashed out at the photographers that were in the court. Really? Yeah, he lashed out and caused a bit of a scene in the courtroom um, when he was being taken away. So, you know, 21 year sentence at the age of 60, that's a life sentence really, isn't it? And yeah. he was sent to Stockton Prison in Edinburgh where he still is actually. I didn't know that, he's still there. Oh wow, mm-hmm. contact him. It's just along the road. Yeah. Um, however, one of the police officers that was working on this case, one of the main detectives, just had a bit of a feeling. And I think we've had this feeling as well. And it's something that, you know, like without knowing his past, who starts murdering people at the age of 60? No, well, I wouldn't say no one, but with it's just such very a uncommon. Yeah. Well. And like to be a murderer, like not just a murderer, like, you know, an accidental murder, to be like, like this woman did nothing wrong. No, and no. she so she was beaten and put under yeah. floorboards. It wasn't like exactly. he accidentally pushed her down the stairs. This detective is the same. He's like, Mm-mm, I don't believe this is his first crime. The way it was done, it was all too well rehearsed. So he believed that Peter Tobin could have actually been a serial killer. However, if you go public with this, that you know we've heard about this before. People start getting involved, and it all gets really complicated. So he created a secret operation named Operation Anagram. This was a really confidential operation within the police and it was basically looking into Tobin and they went through all these cold cases of missing people or bodies that had turned up and tried to see if they could link them to Tobin. So they had a couple of potential victims but they started to properly look into a few. So obviously his Bathgate address linked them to one Miss Pair in that area which was 15 year old Vicky Hamilton. 
Now, Vicky Hamilton was last seen in February 1991. I think it was the 10th of February, just waiting for a bus, and she just vanished. She was just gone. And at that time, that was one of Scotland's biggest mysteries. Like, I think, obviously, without spoiling the outcome, any time I think of Peter Tobin, it's her name that comes up. Well, any time you, if you see her photo... Yeah, you that know they the posted, photo. you know it. Even if you don't, mm-hmm. for example, you don't know the story or you don't even know it's Vicky Hamilton, you, you know the photo. You recognise the face and you know this has been somewhere, whether I was five years old or whatever, how old, I mm-hmm. recognise this person. Yeah, absolutely. And when I've told people I was doing this podcast, it's the name they mention. So anyway, Vicky Hamilton, uh, the case was reopened and we looked into and they were kind of like, right, what are the chances of them being in the same area at the same time? And he didn't commit this crime. So in the June 2007, they began linking him to this case and properly looking into it. Now, he spent his life travelling, so it's actually hard to place him. So Operation Anagram becomes a UK-wide case, and they pull all the police forces. So you're looking at the Met, everything, they're all pulled in to start looking at this. So as they were looking into the Vicky Hamilton case, they also began looking at other missed pairs. And the name Dana McNichol comes up. Now, in the August of 1991, she was actually at a festival with her boyfriend and they were both just looking for a ride home. So they managed to get into a car with somebody and got a lift home. Now, the boyfriend got dropped off in Surrey and she was on. She was going to Essex. So she stayed in the car. However, she never made it home. And when the boyfriend was interviewed, the only thing he remembered about the driver is that he was Scottish. At this time, this is when Peter Tobin lived in Margate. So in November 2007, the police go to his neighbour's house and actually ask if Tobin did any gardening. Now, the neighbour's like, um, like if you if I came to your house and said, hiya, do you remember years ago, a neighbour that lived next door, do you remember him in your garden? He'd be like, what? Oh, yeah, he just planted some flowers <laughs> here and there. <laughs> but he actually does remember something. Now, he says, oh, yeah, actually, Tobin put in a sand pit in the garden for his son, but... He just filled it in and the neighbour was like, oh, where, what happened to your sandpit? Like, he dug a massive hole that he said was going to be a sandpit. And then when he looked, the sandpit was then filled with the ground again. And the neighbour asked what happened. And he said that the council had refused on permission to build a sandpit. Now, well, okay, apparently the neighbour was just sandpit. like, apparently the neighbour was just like, all right, okay, never mind. But I was like, mm, okay. Alarm bell. But the police are obviously like, let's get this dug up. So on the 12th of November, they began digging it up. And 24 hours later, they find human remains. However, it is not Dana McNichol, but Vicky Hamilton. All the way to and 450 miles away. Mm-hmm. So she was so from my Bath main question in the Midlothians. Mm-hmm. So my question was like, how did she get there? Like, did he transport her remains or did he have her in a car for 450 miles? So yeah, I don't know what's worse, if she was actually alive for that journey or not. So, you know, like, that's the thing, like, that's fantastic, that was found, like, it's so good for a family, but awful at the same time, but, like, that could have just gone, like, under the radar, because why would they have looked there, do you know what I mean? Yeah, for someone missing in Scotland, exactly. you are not going to think of looking in Margate. <laughs> exactly. So, obviously, Tobin is charged immediately. However, a few days later, a second body is found, and it is Dana McNichol. So the prints are found on the bin bags. Both of them were actually drugged with amitriptyline that was found in the that remains. That must be his favourite um, Yeah, drug. I don't know. Yeah, he must just, that must be his go-to. And trust me, I can Does he get it prescribed works. or something? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, like, it's not for me, it's for my victims. No, exactly. So on the 3rd of December 2008, he was found guilty for Vicky. So he got an extra 30 years 
and then seven months later he was found guilty again for Dania. And he, the trial was postponed as the judge said that he was unfit to stand trial because of ill health. Now this has been mentioned before but apparently he was very good at faking ill health. Um, do you remember way back when he had the 14 year old girls in his flat and mm-hmm. his son woke up? He actually uh-huh. phoned his wife, well his ex-wife at the time and claimed to be having a heart attack when he got caught. So he went to hospital and that's when he left and put the gas on. So that's why he left. He told his wife, he was ha- his oh, ex-wife, yeah. he was having a heart attack. So apparently it's he's known for when he gets in trouble, he fakes an illness. Which is proper psycho mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Behavior. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so that's the thing. When it was coming to court, he knew he was getting done with it. And he was like, oh, I'm, I'm too ill. However, eventually he actually did go to trial. So a few years later, in December 2009, he went to trial. And more actually came out about him in these cases. Like, Dania's mum had actually just died before she was um, kidnapped by Tobin and he actually withdrew £2,000 from her bank account that his mother, her mum had gave her. And he'd taken it out in loads of different places and different bank machines across England. Um, however, yeah, again, the court took three days and the jury were the same, took them no time at all. He was guilty again and he was handed down a life sentence. That was his third life sentence. Can I uh, read the wee section of what? the judge said when you do he, love reading a judge's script on you go so it's not the best one it's not the most dramatic but here we go so when he was sentenced to life in prison the judge said mm-hmm. you stand convicted of the truly evil abduction and murder of a vulnerable young girl in 1991 and therefore of attempting to defeat the ends of justice in various ways over an, over an extended period Yet again, you have shown yourself to be unfit to live in a decent society. It is hard for me to convey the loathing and revulsion that ordinary people will feel for what you have done. I fix the minimum period which you must spend in custody at 30 years. Had it been open to me, I would have made that period run consecutive to the 21-year custodial period that you are already serving. So the judge hates him. That's that's what I take away from mm-hmm. that. He does not like the man. He is um he's awful. Um and he wished obviously he can't in the UK law, it's not like America where you get um, charged with a hundred and odd years. It is just kinda thirty years, twenty years. But he would have liked to have given him more. No, well absolutely. I think he should have got more. Yeah. And with using the words like revulsion and loathing and stuff. Like it, it just shows that pretty much if you think this guy is, an, is, is a decent human being, then there's something wrong with you. No, absolutely. No totally offence. <laughs> if you're that guy. No offence. <laughs> Many do believe that he could have killed up to 50 women from the 60s until 2006. Um, he reportedly taunted a prison psychiatrist Mm-hmm. And he said to this um, psychiatrist that he had killed 48, but mm-hmm. then told them to prove it. And whenever he's asked about other victims, Tobin mm-hmm. just says, I couldn't give a fuck. Nice, nice. So, um, lovely man, lovely man. <laughs> so, yeah, that's the thing. However, nothing more has came from Operation Anagram. Um, in July 2010, they said they had nine unsolved cases that they believe were Peter Tobin. However, the following year, in the June 2011, that's when Anagram started to wind down. And I think they kind of, not lost interest, but I think it's very hard 
to prove something when you have no evidence, no confession, and just speculation. So I think, yeah, as you said, I think he did kill a lot more, but I think the sad thing is, is again, we'll just never know. Yeah, absolutely, and especially with um, DNA and things, it I believe it does it not like not disintegrate, but it kind of it becomes mm-hmm. unusable, unusable, especially when he probably committed the majority of these murders back in the day when they were kind of just building up the DNA, the database yeah. and things. So mm-hmm. it wasn't like he, like they could prove it. No, um, exactly. After doing this podcast, do you think he was Bible John? Um. Well. Okay, he is an awful evil man and he's a serial killer and I do believe that he definitely killed more people than we've just mentioned. But one thing regarding Bible John is the ones that we've just mentioned, they don't have the same patterns. They're completely different. That's Kind of all cases are different. Albeit they were kind of all sexually assaulted. Like they've got that in common. But it wasn't like he left... A mark. Yeah. His mark. What about you? I don't know. It would be a like, good I think, way yeah, to part have an thinks, answer. Yeah, to have an answer and also part of me wants it to be him. Mm-hmm. And he's such an awful man. He wouldn't care. And he's not... The way he talks and things nowadays are... Obviously, before he had a stroke and is old. He... It sounds like he... Even if he did do it, he's not going to tell people. He does not no. want to tell a word. He just wants to gloat in his own kind of glory. Yeah, exactly. And I think it would just be better if it was him because it means there's less horrible people. Oh, do you want world peace? <laughs> that was nice. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> but yeah, I think it would just make life so much easier if it just was him. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's hard to believe that there's so many people like yeah. them out there yeah, yeah no exactly I'd like to finish this by kind of just mentioning yet again the victims like I know it's a horrible word to say but I feel Vicky and Dana are both lucky to actually have had closure for their families you know I don't think obviously what happened to them was the opposite of lucky and I think it's absolutely horrendous what happened to them and I think it's such a warning for all of us that even though this happened in the 90s even like Vicky was waiting on a bus she was doing nothing wrong. She wasn't in any danger. She was doing a really basic thing. And that could be any of us, you know. However, there is tons of women, probably, that will never have the closure that they had. I don't think he'll ever admit it now. I really don't. I think it's gone long enough. And I think, like, he's not going to get any more sentences. He's not. He's never going to get out of prison again. He might as well just say, do you know what, it was me. And, do you know, maybe one day he will.